0: Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on neurodegenerative disease research, so that you can stay up to date with the newest findings. Every month, our team of scientists will sort and organize the titles into themes, and present shortened versions of the abstracts. We'll make sure to mention the title, the journal, The first author and the last author for each publication. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast helpful.
1: Hi and welcome to part two of the genetic landscape section. My name is Marcia and I will be your host for this episode. In this episode, we will cover papers that fall into the overarching themes of sex differences, transcriptomics, and a few other miscellaneous papers. Let's first begin with the papers related to sex difference studies. The first paper here is titled, A Twin Study of Sex Differences in Genetic Risk for All Dementia, Alzheimer's Disease and Non-AD Dementia. The first author is Beam and the last author is Gatz and this paper was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. This study examined sex differences in genetic and environmental influences on disease risk at the onset for three groups. All Dementia, AD only and Non-AD Dementia. For their analysis, the researchers recruited twin pairs drawn from the Swedish Twin Registry. They conducted APOE analysis for 1,923 individual twins with measured epsilon-4 alleles. Their results showed that within twin pair correlations for the AD, only and all dementia groups were higher for women than for men. They also found that sex differences did not statistically differ for genetic or environmental etiology of AD only, all dementia and non-AD dementia. They observed similar results when they analyzed specific genetic effects. They also conducted co-twin control analysis on twin pairs differing in dementia status. They found that female twins without dementia had a higher chance of developing dementia in the two to five years following the first twin's diagnosis than their male counterparts. Up next is a paper published in the journal Cell Reports titled, Sex Differences in Gene Expression and Regulatory Networks Across 29 Human Tissues. The first author is Lopez Ramos and the last author is Demio. The authors of this study aim to understand the molecular basis of sex differences in diseases. They constructed sample-specific gene regulatory networks in human healthy tissue and used whole genome expression profiles from the Genotype Tissue Expression Project. They found that most transcription factors, even though not differentially expressed between sexes, had sex-biased regulatory targeting patterns. In each tissue, they found that genes that were differentially targeted by transcription factors between the sexes were enriched for tissue-related functions and diseases. For example, in the brain, genes associated with Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease were targeted by different sets of transcription factors in males and in females. Their study results showed that specific transcription factors play important role in sex-specific regulatory processes in both health and in disease. In this next paper, the authors examined both APOE and sex differences. It is titled, Mouse-Brain Transcriptome Responses to Inhaled Nanoparticulate Matter differed by Sex and APOE in NRF2 and NF-kappa-B Interactions. The paper was published in the journal eLife with first author Hagnani and last author Finch. The researchers of this study examined the neurotoxicity of air pollution for sex and APOE alleles. For this, they used mice that were chronically exposed to NPM, a nano-sized subfraction of urban pollution. They observed that the cerebral cortex had twofold more genes responding to NPM in females than in male mice. They also saw that transcriptomic responses to NPM had sex APOE interactions in AD relevant pathways. Only APOE3 mice responded to NPM in amyloid beta deposition and clearance-related genes. They also observed other axonal guidance-related genes, inflammation-associated genes like NF-kappa-B, and antioxidant signaling genes such as NRF2. Furthermore, they found that genes downstream of NF-kappa-B and NRF2 responded in opposite directions to NPM. They also conducted microglia-NRF2 knockdown experiments, which showed increased NF-kappa-B responses to NPM. This indicates the critical role of NRF2 in air pollution neurotoxicity. The title of the next paper is Reproductive Period and Dementia, a 44-year longitudinal population study of Swedish women. The paper was published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia, with first author Najjar and last author Sko. The main aim of this paper is to understand why women have higher incidence rates of dementia than men after age 85. To study this, the researchers in this group conducted longitudinal studies examining the effect of endogenous estrogens on dementia risk. The study cohort included women with natural menopause who were followed from the year 1968 to 2012. The authors obtained information on endogenous estrogens, such as at the age of menarche and menopause, number of pregnancies, and months of breastfeeding. Based on the results, they found that longer reproductive period was associated with increased risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. They found their findings to be specifically significant for those women with dementia and Alzheimer's disease onset after the age 85. The next paper in this category is titled Sex Differences in Alzheimer's Disease Related Tau Biomarkers and a Mediating Effect of Testosterone. This paper was published in the journal Biology of Sex Differences. The first and last authors are Sundarman and Banks respectively. In this study, the authors investigated whether testosterone levels might influence sex differences and the modifying role of APOE4 status. Their analysis included cognitively normal, mildly cognitively impaired, and AD individuals. They examine the individual and interactive effects of plasma testosterone levels and APOE4 on cerebrospinal fluid phosphorylated tau-181 or P-tau levels. They also examine the sex difference in P-tau levels before and after adjusting for testosterone. They found that lower testosterone levels related to higher P-Tau levels among APOE-4 carriers irrespective of sex. In line with that, they observed that women typically characterized with lower testosterone levels had higher P-Tau levels than men among APOE-4 carriers. This difference was eliminated upon adjustment for testosterone. Based on these results, they concluded that testosterone is protective against P-Tau especially among APOE4 carriers. Up next in this category is a paper titled Sex-Dependent Autosomal Effects on Clinical Progression of Alzheimer's Disease. This paper was published in the Brain Journal with first author Fan and last author Dale. In this study, the investigators use a sex crossover analysis to study sex-dependent autosomal genetic effects on Alzheimer's disease, which apparently were not demonstrated before. Here, they were able to follow disease progress through a hazard function and study how this score was affected by sex-dependent autosomal genetic effects. They find a strong association between sex-matched polygenic hazard scores and multiple AD-related pathologies such as amyloid beta deposition, tangle formation, and disease progression. These differences did not depend on APOE. The authors conclude that it is important to take into account the disease progression processes when studying sex differences in the genetic landscape. The next paper in this category is titled Sex-Driven Modifiers of Alzheimer's Disease, a Multimodality Brain Imaging Study, written by first author Rahman and last author Mosconi, published in the journal Neurology. The aim of this paper was to investigate sex differences in late-onset AD risks using multimodality brain biomarkers. The authors looked at cognitively normal individuals and tested for amyloid beta via 11C Pittsburgh Compound B or PIB, PET and neurodegeneration via 18F fluorodeoxyglucose or FDG PET and structural MRI. They assessed them for their clinical, medical, hormonal, and lifestyle AD risk factors as well. They found that women showed higher PIB beta-amyloid deposition, lower FDG glucose metabolism, and lower MRI gray and white matter volumes compared to men. Interestingly, they also found that menopausal status, hormone therapy, hysterectomy status, and thyroid disease were also strongly associated with the observed brain biomarker differences seen in women. From these observations, they suggested that early in the endocrine aging process is best for undertaking any preventative measures in women. Up next is a paper titled Alzheimer's Risk Factors Age and Female Sex Induce Cortical Amyloid Beta Aggregation by Raising Extracellular Zinc. Tatke and Bush are the first and last authors of this paper, which was published in the journal Molecular Psychiatry. This work tried to address the mechanism behind aging and female sex as Alzheimer's disease risk factors. Previous evidence indicates that zinc leads to amyloid beta aggregation and contributes to AD pathology. Based on this, the authors looked at the effects of age and sex on zinc. They used rat hippocampi and find that the increase in zinc extracellular levels is greater with age and more so in female animals. Impaired zinc reuptake drives this process and this seems to be caused by mitochondrial disruption. This can be induced by zinc amyloid beta aggregates, but not just amyloid beta aggregates. Older neurons are more susceptible to this disruption and along with sex-dependent zinc release level, this may explain the reason behind this as a risk factor. Next in this category is a paper titled sex-related differences in tau-positron emission tomography, or PET, and the effects of hormone therapy, published in the journal Alzheimer's Disease and Associated Disorders. The 1st and last authors are Winch and Ancest, respectively. In this study, the authors had three main objectives. The first was to compare cortical amyloid and regional tau-PET deposition between cognitively normal males and females. They found that there was no difference in amyloid burden by sex and that females had significantly higher tau-pet levels than males in the rostral, middle, frontal, and superior and middle temporal regions of the brain. Their second objective was to compare the AD pathology between females who have and have not used hormone therapy. Based on their results, they found that hormone therapy accounted for a small reduction in tau-pet and that males still had significantly lower tau than pet. Finally, they wanted to compare the effects of amyloid and tau pathology on cognition and test for both sex and hormone therapy effects. They observed that amyloid pet and tau pet burden were negatively associated with cognitive performance. They also found that increasing amyloid pet did not have a negative effect on cognitive performance for women with a history of hormone therapy. For the final paper in this category, we're switching gears to the olfactory system, which is affected both in Alzheimer's disease and in Parkinson's disease. O'Leary Brown et al. wrote this paper that we'll be exploring, which was published in Behavioral Brain Research. Their title is Intact Olfactory Memory in the 5xFAD Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease from 3 to 15 months age. Here, researchers used the 5-cross-FAD mouse as a model of Alzheimer's disease, which has been extensively studied for neuropathology and dysfunction, but not in olfactory memory. They also wanted to explore how sex differences may differentially affect learning and memory. They used a condition odor preference task to test mice aged 3 to 15 months and found that at this time point, there was no discernible difference in olfactory memory nor sex differences. They went on to test very long-term or remote memory by training mice at 3 months and testing olfactory memory at 6 months. This was no different either. They did observe in postmortem brains that there was a significant deposition of amyloid beta in the olfactory bulb, hippocampus, piriform cortex, and amygdala. These authors published non-results, which is also important, I feel, Up next are papers related to transcriptomics. We have just three papers within this section. The title of the first paper is, Alterations of transcriptome signatures in head trauma-related neurodegenerative disorders. This paper is by first author Cho and last author Seo, and it was published in the journal Scientific Reports. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE for short, caused by repetitive traumatic brain injury, or TBI, is a neurodegenerative disease similar to Alzheimer's disease. To identify the molecular mechanisms of TBI-related disorders, this research group conducted transcriptome sequencing analysis of CTE, AD, and CTE with AD postmortem human brain samples. They characterized unique and common transcriptome signatures among the three groups and found that Synapse signaling associated gene signatures, such as synaptognomins, were downregulated in all three groups when compared to normals. Other TBI-related memory function genes they found to be downregulated include calcium calmodulin-dependent protein kinase 2, protein kinase A, and protein kinase C. In contrast, they found cell adhesion molecules, or CAMs, associated genes to be upregulated but only in the CTE group. Based on their results, they concluded that alterations in the synaptic transmission and memory function-related genes are crucial in TBI disorders and thus in Alzheimer's disease. The title of the next paper is Identification of Conserved Proteomic Networks in Neurodegenerative Dementia. The first author is Swaroop and the last author is Jeswin, And the paper was published in the journal Cell Reports. In this study, the researchers integrated quantitative proteomics and transcriptomics data from thousand postmortem brains from Alzheimer's disease, asymptomatic Alzheimer's disease, progressive supranuclear palsy, and control patients. They defined co-expression trajectories related to early neuronal, microglial, astrocyte, and immune response modules and mRNA splicing and mitochondrial modules. They found that most of the modules were conserved at the transcriptomic level. This also seemed to be the case for module C3, which is only seen in proteome networks and enriched in mitogen activated protein kinase signaling. They found that genetic risk increased in modules showing early disease changes and also indicated that Alzheimer's disease and progressive supranuclear palsy have distinct biological drivers at the pathway level, despite similarities in disease pathology. They concluded that the conserved high-confidence proteomic changes enriched in genetic risk presented possible drug discovery targets. The last paper within this section is titled Transcriptomic Stratification of Late-Onset Alzheimer's Cases Reveal Novel Genetic Modifiers of Disease Pathology. The paper was written by first author Millen and last author Carter and was published in the PLOS Genetics Journal. In this paper, the authors developed a novel approach to define relevant transcriptomic endophenotypes. They classified subjects based on molecular profiles in three late-onset AD cohorts. They used iterative-weighted gene co-expression network analysis to reduce data dimensionality and to isolate gene sets that are highly co-expressed within disease subtypes and represent specific molecular pathways. They then performed single-variant association testing using whole-genome sequencing data and identified genetic loci that contributed to disease heterogeneity. Among their findings, a significant variant in the TMEM106B confers protection from the inflammatory late-onset AD subtype. They concluded that this approach could be used to classify late-onset AD into distinct subtypes based on affected disease pathways. Next, we have a lineup of papers that did not make into any of the previously mentioned categories. The first paper here describes SOR-L1 as an AD risk gene. It was published in the journal Cell Reports and is titled, depletion of the AD risk gene SOR-L1 selectively impairs neuronal endosomal traffic independent of amyloidogenic APP processing. The first and last authors of the paper are Nup and Young respectively. The authors evaluated how the loss of SOR-L1 gene contributes to Alzheimer's disease pathogenesis. Here, they focus on endosome dysfunction especially. SOR-L1 or SOR-LA is an AD risk gene and is also a sorting receptor involved in retromer related endosomal traffic. Using CRISPR-Cas9, they deleted SOR-L1 in HIPSCs and found that the SOR-L1 deficient neurons showed early endosome enlargement But Sor-L1-deficient microglia showed no effect on endosome size. These results suggested a selective effect on neuronal endosomal trafficking. They validated this by showing that amyloid precursor protein changes localization in early endosomes, which are a site of APP cleavage by enzyme beta-secretase. They found that enzyme beta-secretase inhibition did not rescue endosome enlargement in SOR-L1-deficient neurons, implying that this characteristic was independent of APP processing. They finally emphasized on how different pathways regulating APP cleavage and endosomal trafficking contribute to observed AD pathologies. This next paper also discusses general genetic risk for AD. It was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and is titled, Genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease moderates the association between medial temporal lobe volume and episodic memory performance among old adults. The first author of this paper is Prieto and the last author is Hayes. In this study, the authors examined the role of genetic risk and structural brain volume on episodic memory. The subjects ranged from cognitively normal to those diagnosed with AD and were asked to complete a 3D MRI scan basal cognitive assessment, and biospecimen collection. The investigators performed hierarchical linear regression analysis to examine the main and interaction effects of medial temporal lobe, or MTL, volume and polyhazardic score, or PHS. They found that individuals with high PHS and low hippocampal and entorhinal volume had lower memory composite scores. Based on their results, they showed that genetic risk moderated the relationship between MTL volume and memory. They found that lower volume was related to poorer memory among people with higher genetic risk for AD. They also found that in older adults, the interaction between AD genetic risk and MTL volume increases chances of memory impairment. The authors thus concluded that genetic risk and brain volume are possibly important factors in determining cognitive function. Along these lines, the next paper discusses comorbidity PTSD and its association to AD. The title of this paper is Shared Genetic Etiology Underlying Late Onset Alzheimer's Disease and Post Traumatic Stress Syndrome. It was published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia by first author Lutz and last author Chiba Filek. Among other neuropsychiatric comorbidities, Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, seems to be a risk factor for late-onset AD. It is possible that this goes back to a genetic link, and this is what the authors of this study are trying to uncover. They run a genome-wide association study on data sets from white and African-American people, as well as functional analysis of their genome. Their findings confirm the associations between PTSD and late-onset AD. Across these associations, they find commonalities around the membrane-spanning 4A gene region, which seems to follow the same expression pattern in late-onset AD patients as well. This highlights a potential common pathway for late-onset AD and PTSD. Switching things up a little bit, we next have a paper on mouse models. It is titled, Cognitive decline and modulation of Alzheimer's disease related genes after inhibition of microRNA 101 in mouse hippocampal neurons. It was published in the journal Molecular Neurobiology by authors Babarto and Ruberti. This paper looked at the effects of lentiviral expression of microRNA MIR101 in C57BL6J mice, specifically in the CA1 region of the hippocampus. Mice that had overexpression, demonstrated cognitive impairment, and were unable to use object place recognition to assess novel objects or novel object locations. In an inhibitory avoidance task, they showed shorter retention latencies, and these features were observed alongside increased expression of hippocampal targets of MIR101, including APP, RAN-BP9, RAB-5, and AB42 as well as hypophosphorylation of AMPK protein kinase. Therefore, elevated MIR-101 could be one of the underlying features of cognitive decline in AD. Next, we have a couple of papers related to DNA methylation. The first paper is titled Quantification of Global DNA Methylation Using 5-Methylcytosine Dioxygenase. The author for this paper is Taka and the last author is Yoshida. This paper was published in the journal, Analytical and Bioanalytical Chemistry. Alterations in DNA methylation levels associated with diseases such as cancer and Alzheimer's disease can be determined using different assays such as the bisulphate-based assay, high-performance liquid chromatography-based assay, ELISA, and methyl acceptance assays. In this study, the researchers developed a simpler enzymatic assay for the quantification of global DNA methylation levels. They used the 1011 translocation, or TET, proteins, which moderate DNA methylation through the oxidation of 5 methylcytosine in CPGs. Succinate produced during these reactions acts as an indicator of DNA methylation levels. In their experiments, they purified TET2 catalytic domain using an E. coli expression system. Then, they reacted it with human genomic DNA. They measured the level of succinate produced as a result. They found that it increased with increasing DNA methylation, which was quantified using the bisulfate method. They thus determined global DNA methylation levels using the amount of succinate produced by TET2 mediated 5-methylcytosine oxidation. The second paper, published in PLOS1, is DNA methylation patterns of Line 1 and ALU for pre-symptomatic dementia in type 2 diabetes. The first author is Sao Lee, and the last author is Byun. In this paper, the group examined locus-specific changes in retrotransposons line 1 and methylation in people with type 2 diabetes. They also looked at their role in pre-symptomatic dementia development and examined folate and vitamin B12 supplementation as ways to potentially offset these changes. From their analysis, they identified 714 differentially methylated positions corresponding to line 1 and ALU in type 2 diabetes patients who developed presymptomatic dementia in comparison to those who did not. They showed that these loci were significantly populated with genes related to AD and cognitive decline, including genes GNB5, GNG7, and PKN3. They also found that in older individuals with folate or vitamin B12 supplementation, PSD retrotransposon loci showed significant changes in methylation. In conclusion, they indicated the clinical utility in monitoring dementia risk and also alluded to future work in examining the potential of dietary supplementation in reducing pre-symptomatic dementia risk. For more details on this study, please take a look at the original publication. Next, we have a really interesting methods paper. The first author is Liu, and the last author is Kasseli, and this paper, published in the journal Human Hereditary, is titled, Unbalanced Sample Size Introduces Spurious Correlations to Genome-Wide Heterozygosity Analysis. In this paper, the authors conducted a meta-analysis of five whole exome studies to examine the relationship between excess of heterozygosity, or H-scores, and Alzheimer's disease. H-scores are a measure of genetic diversity. From their study, they found that the group with a larger sample size had a significantly lower hit score than the group with fewer samples. This showed that mean hit scores are in fact associated with sample size and not with disease status. To correct for different confounding factors in their analysis, they also created artificial genomes controlled for the number of polymeric loci, sample size, and allele frequency using computer simulations. They found that genomes with a large number of rare variants have higher hit scores. They showed that these biases together could indicate false relationships between genetic diversity and disease traits. According to the authors, future studies should balance sample sizes when investigating genetic diversities and disease traits to improve reproducibility. The next paper is a molecular study titled Selective Neuronal Vulnerability in Alzheimer's Disease, a Network-Based Analysis. This was published in the journal Neuron, the first author is Rosary and the last author is Greengar. In this paper, the researchers presented a framework integrating molecular profiles. These profiles are neuron type specific across the lifetime of healthy mouse. They generated them using Backtrap with postmortem human functional genomics and quantitative genetics data. Based on their results, they showed that in AD, it is critical that human mouse cellular taxonomy is conserved at the molecular level. They identified genes and pathways associated with AD pathology and also highlighted a specific functional gene module associated with selective vulnerability, axon remodeling, and amyloid beta aggregation and aging. The next paper on multiomic data analysis is one of my favorites. It is titled Identification of functionally connected multi-omic biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease using modularity constrained lasso. It was written by first author Z and last author Yan and was published in PLoS One. In this paper, the authors proposed a model to integrate genotype, gene expression and protein expression data. They also used this model to discover functionally connected multi-omics biomarkers in Alzheimer's disease. They describe how they generated it by introducing a new penalty term to a pre-existing network. This seems to maximize the global modularity of the sub-network and allowed for selecting of multi-omic biomarkers with tense functional connectivity instead of individual markers. They applied this model to real data in the Map cohort and identified 276 multi-omic markers that can reliably be used for prediction. From this, They concluded that deterioration of cognitive performance in AD patients could be due to genetic variations and its downstream effects on the transcriptome and proteome. The next paper is an exploratory analysis of mtDNA haplogroups in two Alzheimer's longitudinal cohorts. The first author of this paper is Swerdlou and the last author is Michaelis as part of the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative. It was published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia. The authors hypothesized that the inherited mitochondrial DNA or MTDNA variants may influence Alzheimer's disease risk. To test this, they sequenced MTDNA from both AD and Cognitively Normal or CN subjects belonging to two groups. These subjects were then assigned haplogroups. Without correcting for multiple comparisons, they found that haplogroup J appeared with a higher frequency in AD compared to CN in both the study groups. They also found that frequency of haplogroup K appeared in a lower frequency in AD than in C. Interestingly, they found that these associations remain significant even after adjusting for apolipoprotein E, age, and sex. From their exploratory analysis, they thus concluded that inherited mtDNA variants influence AD risk. The title of the last paper for this episode is Genetics of Gene Expression in the Aging Human Brain Revealed TDP43 Protonopathy Pathophysiology. The first author is Yang and the last author is D. Jagger and the paper was published in the journal Neuron. Here, the authors screened for variants involved in gene co-expression modules. If this is something you're working on, you may want to know that they focus on two loci. One of which is TMEM106b locus, which seems to play a role in the aggregation of TAR DNA-binding protein 43, or TDP43, in disease. One of the downstream effects of this phenomenon would be seen at the level of lysosomal and synaptic genes. The authors observed that TMEM106b shows similar effects to APOE amyloid beta on myelination and the expression of lysosomal genes, and therefore, TDP43 aggregation. These results help us understand the mechanism underlying the processes leading to TDP-43 accumulation in aging and shed some light on TNEM106b as a risk factor. This brings us to the end of this episode and the papers on the theme genetic landscape. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
0: That's it for this episode. A huge thank you to the team that is working on sorting, summarizing, and scripting these abstracts. As well as the operations behind A Minder, the music is from Journey of a New Transmitter by Anusha Kamesh, musician and fellow scientist, and a member of the A Minder team. You can find the original piece and her other music on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh or on her YouTube channel, AK Music. Interested in joining the team? Give us a shout! We can always use help with content development, podcast editing, advertising, and you can be part of a new and exciting venture. Reach us by email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter. Oh, we're also on Facebook now. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list if you want access to the bibliography for each of our episodes. The references come with timestamps, hmm, timestamps, so you can more easily locate the paper that caught your interest. Check our notes below for details on how to sign up. And very close to this, you'll also find a link to our feedback survey. Because, yeah, your feedback matters to us. So please, pretty please, let us know how we can make this podcast a better tool for you. And last but not least, thank you for tuning in with us. And on this note, we hope you found our podcast useful and accessible. Until next time.